Episode 33, Forrest Tuff, founder and CEO of One Vision Productions. Forrest Tuff, uh, Forrest Tuff, gosh, I uh, <laughs> turned that, I didn't mean to turn to that, almost Forrest Gump. That was just me misspeaking. Now listen, I'm used I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. It's the last week to enter to win a free My Favorite Mistake coffee mug. Go to markgraven.com slash mistake 33. And now on with the show. Well, hi, welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Graven. We're joined today by Forrest Tuff. He is, among other things, the founder and CEO of One Vision Productions. It's an award-winning multimedia production company. He is a professional speaker slash business coach slash author. He also describes himself as a filmpreneur. Did I say that right, Forrest? You got it right, Mark. <laughs> that is a, a combination. He's got uh, creative skills with business savvy. He has over 180 movie credits. He's got an IMDb page, which is pretty cool. Um, these credits include um, indie films, documentaries, a major motion picture with 20th Century Fox. He's the host of a show called The Talk Tough Show, and he was also a Division I basketball player. So Forrest, wow, um, if this podcast was called Is There Anything You Can't Do? You would be, <laughs> I you, like that one, Mark. <laughs> you, you would be right at home, but um, <laughs> but welcome, and, and thank you for joining us. This is, of course, my favorite mistake. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really excited about the conversation. I think there's a, a lot we can um, talk about, but let, let's dive right in as we usually do. Forrest, um, what, what comes to mind when you think about your favorite mistake? If I had to think about what my favorite mistake was, Mark, honestly, I'd have to say believing in myself when I chose to embark on this entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm. You know, coming out of school, having, having played sports and having that dream deferred, now having to work it was a little daunting when I decided, you know what, I think I want to do this for myself. But I think that's the the favorite thing that I did. I, I made the mistake to believe in myself and venture out. And looking back on it, that's got to be the favorite thing, favorite mistake I ever made. So, I mean, at some point, did that did that really did that feel like a mistake? Because that seems like a really positive thing, believing in yourself. But but what happened there? Well, you know, honestly entrepreneurs, most of them won't admit their safety in a paycheck. You know, when I was working in a job, you know, in sales or in management, I knew that if I did a certain thing or if I produced certain numbers, even if I didn't hit that mark, I still had a check coming to take care of bills. And so that was a very safe place to be, you know, and embarking on this entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey, it's not as safe. I mean, there are moments when you're scratching your head going, wow, I just don't know where it's coming from. And when you're really starting out, you have to be the person that generates everything until the business grows. So, yeah, it can be daunting. But, you know, honestly, it did seem like a mistake. You wonder if you made the right decision, you know, but in the end, it pays off. So what helped get you through, you know, those those early days of those times when it's a struggle? I, I relate to that when, 
you know, it comes to, you know, when I left a, a regular paycheck behind um, 10, over 10, well, 10 years ago, we'll call mm -hmm. it. Um, there's struggles to get started. I mean, during the pandemic, I have times where I'm scratching my head, trying to figure <laughs> out, okay, what comes next? How, how did you get through some of that? What did you, what did you draw upon? Well, for me, I think my parents really were a stable place for me because they actually did the same thing in their journey. My father became a pastor. They've been in the, uh, that line of work for 40 years now, but at the time he was in the education industry. My mother was in sales. And so they embarked on that journey of starting their own church from scratch. And we started in the house. And I remember as a kid, the only members we had were my brothers and I and my sisters. It was just a sibling. Yeah. So I think having that background, they were able to give me sound advice even though it was a different industry, just on how to weather that storm and to make it. So for me, my parents just having that same entrepreneurial background was key for me. Yeah. Now, were there others like did you have advisors or uh, friends or family who, who were saying, hey, Forrest, you're making a mistake leaving uh, a, a safe, predictable paycheck? Uh, yeah. 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 I had tons of friends that were telling me, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> You're leaving a good job to to go out and start this venture. You know, the truth of it is I'm thankful for all the people, you know, the people that were for me and the people that said, Forrest, what are you doing? Because you need that fuel sometimes to keep going. You know, a lot of people in the world now call it haters. But, you know, I think those people help motivate you just as the ones that support you. So, yes, I did. I, I chose to accept mentors, people that had been in business, and I would sit down with them and ask them, you know, tell me what was the worst thing that ever happened and what are some bad things? So I had a couple of people that I, I did listen to and use their experience. And eventually after I, you know, I'd been in business for a while, I actually went to an organization that focused on mentoring small business owners and entrepreneurs. Yeah. So tell us about that. Cause I, I saw that in your background. I'm, 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 I've heard of it. I'm familiar with uh, this is score, right? Yes. Yes. So SCORE is an, an organization. It's a, a resource partner through the SBA, the Small Business Administration. They've been around for about 60 years. And what the organization does is help mentor pro bono individuals that are in a, you know, want to start a business. So for me, it was kind of a double-edged sword. I went to help after I've been in business about a decade. I wanted to help, but I had this resource of, you know, executives and retired uh executives and entrepreneurs that I could pull from on a daily basis to give me information that would help me grow. So it worked out great where I, yeah, I received a lot of information and I was able to help people. And honestly, even in helping entrepreneurs, I would learn something. Sure. So that was a great experience. And it has been for me. I've been a mentor now for six years. So I think it's been part of why I've been able to sustain my business. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very cool. And I mean, there, there are different dimensions of your professional life and background that we, we can delve into here. Um, but thinking about the SCORE program and being a coach to other entrepreneurs, are, are there common mistakes, if you will, that you see um, entrepreneurs making situations that you end up coaching them through? What would you say is one of the most common that you try to help people with? I would say one of the most common things is wanting to have a look, the perception of being an entrepreneur versus the reality. Oftentimes you want to take money or you get a loan and you want to just go out and hire people. I think you really have to have a solid plan of action or business plan mm -hmm. to know what's going to be the best course for you. I think for some entrepreneurs, I tell them, hey, listen, you're the CEO, but 
you're also the janitor. So it's okay, you know, forget the image and focus on making sure that your company stays in the black and you get a return every year. So I would say the biggest thing that a lot of entrepreneurs suffer with is mishandling money and the image that they'd like to per, you know, to put out versus the reality of being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the themes, um, you know, of the podcast series here is the idea of learning from mistakes that, yeah. you know, we're all human as individuals, as leaders, as businesses, we make mistakes. If, you know, right. uh, if anything, lean into it. And um, it's not that we should be trying to make mistakes, but when they happen, let's, let's learn from them. So what I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, what comes to mind then if you're coaching organizations, um, what, what do you try to convey to others about the idea to, uh, to learn from mistakes as opposed to hiding and covering them up? I'm in my personal experience. One of the things I had to learn was basically how to reinvest back into the business. You know, there are times, you know, I, I say entrepreneurship is like, the seasons of the year. There's a winter, spring, summer, fall. And there are those times when the money's just flowing. Everything's going great. Well, at that time, that's when you really have to store up and you have to reinvest that back in into the company. And of course, you all have to take vacations, but, you know, set a budget for those type of things. You know, don't splurge because there's going to come that winter and things are going to, you know, dry up and you're going to be scratching your head like, where's the money? So, you know, it's best to prepare for those times about, you know, when things are really going good to save up. And that was a lesson that I had to learn. You know, I learned it fast, but I always share that one because that really helps in that sustainability aspect of being an entrepreneur, business owner. Yeah. And it seems like the the learning fast is the key. That's what I hear you saying. That's right. Being able to not just keep going, but, um, you know, I'm curious of the different things you, you're involved in. Um was the production company the first entrepreneurial venture or tell me more about um, getting started with that? So back in 2004, when I embarked on starting my media production company, it came from a place um, early, early childhood. My mother always had a camcorder and she recorded things. And even at my father's church, you know, we would record service. And so throughout my high school and, and college years, I would have my camcorder recording everything, you know, parties, hanging out with friends, just regular everyday life. And one day as an adult, now that I'm working, someone say, hey, do you record birthday parties? You know, I'll pay you. And that struck the chord. And that's where (laughs) everything kind of originated from that one small birthday party. It evolved. And, you know, over 15 years, 16 years later, you know, the company grew from doing weddings and, you know, we do photography, music videos. And we started to branch out to working with corporations and working with the government. So that's how that was the first that's the lifeblood of all my endeavors, if you would yeah. say that. Yeah. This is going back to uh, dating myself or we, we, we'll both do it. It was this the camcorder camcorder up on the shoulder. Oh, yeah. We, when I was a kid, we had this shoulder cam. That's yeah. that's what started first. So to give you a time frame, I came out of high school in 91. That's when I graduated. Okay, me so too. I give you a, a time frame of of what it was. And then, you know, we moved into the little mini tapes. And <laughs> so now everything we had to go through. I think our generation is formidable because we've had to undergo so many changes and right. still manage to stay relevant from, you know, hey, we had the Internet when it dialed up. You know, you had to <laughs> wait an hour just to get online. So. 
Yeah, that's the generation I'm from. The big camcorder. We started the big one, big shoulder yeah, with, with the full size VHS tape. Full size VHS tape, exactly. Yeah. So that that yeah, that really makes me think about sure for being Generation X, being resilient. We've gone from uh, right. running VHS tapes to running DVDs to now. I don't think I have a single DVD in the it's, place. I'm streaming anymore. everything exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> So um, I'm curious a little more. I've, I've never, you know, one thing I love about this podcast series is getting to talk to people with such a wide range of backgrounds. So I've never right. had the chance to talk to anybody who's been involved in film production. Um, is, is, is each film its own entrepreneurial venture? Like how, how do you try to find out, hopefully sooner than later, if a production is, quote unquote, a mistake? So in my case, before I just jumped out, I actually worked on other people's productions in a capacity or in a role. Because I had been in production, I offered, I knew how to film, I knew how to edit, you know, I had equipment. There's so many things. I'm, I'm a licensed drone pilot. So if they needed a drone pilot on set, I had a skill that I could use to be on a set and learn. So for me, that was my teacher. I didn't have time to, you know, go to school because I had kids that were growing up and going to college. So I said, I need to do a lot of networking. So for that, I used a lot of volunteer time. I, I volunteered so much to say, hey, yeah, listen, you need an editor? I'll edit this project for you so I can see the process. Oh. So for me, I cut my learning curve by having a skill set that allowed me to be on sets and learn about the industry before I started producing my own films. Mm -hmm. So I cut down a lot of the mistakes I would have made. And that just came from having the experience of being a business owner and knowing the mistakes that could be made with any new venture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's smart. And you're learning on uh, other people's dime. They're paying you to learn and. Yeah. And sometimes not paying me to learn, but you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was part of the process because I was breaking into a totally new industry. Mm -hmm. And so it's initially I needed to know what they knew and people have a tendency to give you more um, when they know that you're working towards the goal, but you're doing it coming in at that volunteer space. So for me, it was a very strategic volunteering. That's what I call it. I, I had a strategy to my volunteering. It just didn't have a, it had an end game. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, that's smart. That's smart. Um, so I think one other, you know, I want to um, ask you to think back for us to your experiences as a college basketball player, you know, playing division oh, yeah. one at a very high level um, of basketball. I, you know, reading about your background. Uh, you, you were a guard, you were a shooter. Is that right? Yes. So, I mean, it was, it's different than now when, uh, you know, half the shots being put up in every game or from behind the arc, but I read about um, you, you hitting uh, a lot of threes in a game. Um, so I, I was curious, you know, when, when, and I'm not a basketball player, like I played okay. in the driveway as a kid and yeah, <laughs> that was, that was all, but um when you read about shooters, um, I'm, I'm curious if you have this mentality. You could go out and miss your first 10 shots of the game, and it seems like a true shooter isn't afraid to take that 11th shot. Um, what right. was your mindset when you think about shooting, missing shots, uh, mistakes on the court, bouncing back from that? What, what was your mentality? You know, it's interesting because this style of play that's that's we see now that's how I played then. You know, I had the, 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 the rough aspect from playing at the parks, but I became a long range sniper, as I called it. Oh. And I always had this saying that at any moment, things could change because when you're a three point shooter, the game can change 
instantly. There's a certain momentum with the three. It's almost like somebody comes down and slam dunks the ball. It's just like the energy that it creates. So for me, my motto was never give up. Just like in business, you never give up, right? So that means I'm not going to stop shooting. And my friends sometimes would go, really tough? That's, that's your philosophy, never stop shooting? But it was the truth. I always felt like at any moment, things could change. So as a shooter, yeah, I'm sorry. I never, never was scared to pull the trigger. Uh, it seemed like that, that, that is a common mindset um, among the top yeah. shooters, right? Yeah, it is. Um, but I mean, I mean, I'm curious, like what the, the thought process was, you know, you're, 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 you know, you missed 10 in a row. Mm-hmm. And do you start thinking about like, is it my shooting form or are they just not going in? Like, I'm curious what that thought process might have been. So I'll, I'll be frank with you. I shot about 50% from three point range. I was ranked top three in the nation. So I didn't have games where I went on those type of streaks. I really was strategic about shooting. I had a formula for getting my best shots. Like I knew that if I ran up and down the court at least four or five times before I started, you know, pulling the trigger, I'd have a higher um, percentage of hitting shots. Now, if in the instance that I get cold, which it does happen, I'll start to drive. I would, you know, change it up a little bit, you know, go to the basket. I wouldn't just shoot until I'm cold. I would, you know, find other ways to get involved. I might, you know, hunker down and play, you know, intense defense, anything to get a rhythm because shooting is rhythmic. So for me, I had to make sure I found a rhythm. If I'm doing good on defense or if I'm driving to the basket or from making a great pass and my team is getting into it, once I find that rhythm, it normally translated into shots falling. So mm-hmm. that's how I normally did it. I wouldn't just shoot myself out or shoot my team out. I would try to do other things to help get myself in that rhythm. Yeah. So that makes me wonder, I mean, is there a, a more generalizable lesson from that? If um, you seem to be out of rhythm with business or whatever projects you're doing, I wonder if, if you know, it's just kind of uh, mixing it up or doing something to try to mix up that rhythm if uh, if that helps. I'm trying to think what a parallel would be. No, that makes absolute sense because that is, it, I'm glad you put it that way. That was, that was great. That was clever because in a sense, that's what I do oftentimes. If I find myself in a rut or if I'm working or, you know, even when working with people or have my hands on it, if something's not flowing, I'll take a break from it and go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. You know, I may have to take a break and go right you know, because that'll help me, you know, get my spacing, you know, or if I'm writing and I'm having writer's block, I might go and create something in the editing room. So I do take the time to diversify in a sense. It's almost like, you know, it's a team sport. And in my line of profession and the things that I do, I do have to diversify what I'm doing. Like I'm also a public speaker. And if I find myself like, wow, I'm just not motivated by what I'm hearing. I may need to go do something else, you know, to get the creative juices flowing. So that's a great analogy to say that, you know, just switching it up, even in business to make sure that you can be productive when you're doing a certain thing. Yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, getting up and going for the head clearing walk. Just, (laughs) you know, I spend a lot of time at the computer, especially this day and age. um, That's right. Not traveling for work. And uh, yeah, sometimes you just need to or even go take the laptop out of the docking station and go in the other room. Like to me, mixing it up means sometimes just a change of scenery. Absolutely right. It does. uh, It does. A fresh perspective. So Mm -hmm. one other question I'm just curious. I like trying to connect dots. Um, 
when you talk about being a, a coach uh, to entrepreneurs through the SCORE program and, and mm-hmm. other things, do you draw upon um, thinking of different coaches that you played for and, you know, uh, you know, do, do different coaches handle mistakes differently? Player, you know, sloppy pass, something out of bounds, taking a poor shot early in the shot clock. Um, what, what are some of your recollections about different coaches and how they handled, um, if you will, players making mistakes? Yeah. When I played in the 90s, I mean, you had different styles of coaching. You know, the Zen master was just on the rise. But, you know, back then we had the coaches that would get in your face and yell and, you know, but you had to have a thicker skin with the way the styling of coaching back then. So, you know, I had coaches that could get in your face, but you knew they cared about you. You know, they yell at you and at that next moment they're calm. It's like, all right, he got it. You know, then you had the coaches that would talk to you, you know, make sure you understood and then ask you, what did you hear me say? So those different styles, you know, helped me to see that there's not just one way to mentor or work with somebody there. Each person has a different way that motivates them. And so as a mentor or coach, you have to find that out with each individual. You know, you have to talk and find out what motivates them and how do they get things done? You know, some people you can challenge them, get in their face and they're like, I'm out. I got it. You know, some people you have to talk them through it to where they understand it. So it's not a cookie cutter process. It definitely is a case by case process. So I, I would say to assimilate that the, the coaching style has helped to foster a way to mentor different individuals. Yeah. Cool. Cool. It's very smart. I, yeah, I, I think of um, influences I've had this idea of understanding if you're a manager with different people on your team, mm-hmm. they're not all the same. You got to understand right. what makes each individual tick. That's right. Um, so I want to talk a little bit um, before we wrap up about um, a lot of your focus with speaking. And, and one thing, you know, looking at the topics and things you talked about that stood out to me is the idea of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you describe or define servant leadership? For me, servant leadership is one leading by example. You know, your what you do resonates with people, and also having an understanding that what you're doing has a greater purpose than just your personal gain. So, for me, even though I'm a for-profit business, I try to make sure that not only myself but the people that I work with and my staff we work towards a higher purpose and and there's a way to to balance that. So in our organization, we started a pay it forward grant. So for about five years now, we have a community grant that we give to local nonprofit organizations. And this is something that we do to kind of give us another purpose other than just making money, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's nothing wrong with that. If that's, if that's your choice, but for me and being that servant leader, I like to make sure that I give back to the community and, find uh, innovative ways to help out, you know, however we can when it's uh, conducive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one, one other question about speaking, like what, what's your favorite topic or theme that you wish event planners or organizations w- would let you talk about more? Like what? what... <laughs> I wish they talked about entrepreneurship more. You know, there's a lot of huge conferences for corporations and, you know, talking to C-suite and, you know, I think that's great. But there are so many people that are on this entrepreneurial journey and they need to know what's next. What do I do? How do I innovate? How do I get out of my box? You know, because many of us, we went to school. Some of us 
on so many levels when he got a master's, a PhD, we've gotten a lot of, you know, certifications, professional certifications. So we have a methodical way of approaching certain things. We know that if we start with A to Z, there's a process Mm -hmm. and that process usually yields a result. And so when you have that trained way of thinking in that environment, it breeds success nine times out of 10. But when you step out of that environment where A to Z in a straight line no longer works, you may have to go to Q and then come back to B. It confuses people. And that's where I think would be a great opportunity for, you know, some keynote conferences to have speakers like myself come and speak to those people who now have to reacclimate or change the way they view how to have success in their industry. Yeah. Or even if it, you know, um, within these companies, um, there's a big need for that entrepreneurial mindset. Some people refer to intrapreneurship. Yeah. How does a big company become more innovative? Um, uh, so, you know, so that people can build that muscle and practice those entrepreneurial skills, um, not just for their own benefit, if they were to leave the company or go into a next phase of their career. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Even internally, yeah, even internally, it can help them to, helpful. to be innovative and think outside of the box to create revenue for the company. Even if you want to stay with that company, just to help, you know, refreshing that mind muscle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so you talk about speaking and then you talk about writing. Um, I, I saw you have a, a book that you're working on, Live to Make an Impact. So that seems to touch back on that theme of having a purpose beyond just making money. Tell us more exactly. about the book project. So this project is really a culmination of my journey, just the things that I've learned and my philosophy on life, my take on life. And I think that's the most important thing. And I think what resonates with most people is your personal journey. You know, I can't speak to someone else's and I, you know, I can't say that this is the best, but I think for people that are interested in that life or that may be prone to view the world in that way, I think this could be a guide and I have points and takeaways that have you know, been useful in my life that I would love to share for those who are interested in that type of journey. So um, I know you're still working on it. Um, yeah. 2021 sometime, you think it might yeah, be? Yeah, I want to say 2021. I want to say I'm, 2021. I'm trying That's... to put you on the spot, just curious. <laughs> let's say 2021. Yeah, let's let's bump the timetable to make sure that happens. But it's definitely a project I am working on currently. Great. Um, so again, our guest has been uh, Forrest Tough. Um, Forrest, what's a, the best website um, people want to learn more about your work, your speaking and everything else? Sure. You could go to ForrestTuff.com and that's two R's, two T's, two F's. ForrestTuff.com. Forrest Tough. Gosh, I uh, <laughs> turned that. I didn't mean to turn to that almost Forrest Gump. That was just me misspeaking. Hey, listen, I'm used. As a matter of fact, hey, listen, I did a, a keynote recently where I designed this poster where I look like Forrest Gump because <laughs> I knew they would readily identify with it. So, yeah, I've dealt with that. That's a, I've turned that into a, a term of endearment now. So, <laughs> yeah, but actually ForrestTuff.com and you can find anything, you know, about any endeavors that I have going on. Yeah. And, and you do have a lot going on, like I said, up front. So um, Forrest, it's, it's really been a pleasure having you on the podcast and um, getting to learn a little bit about you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your insights. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. 
If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.